Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder, you know, a founder that is uh, pretty good at putting deals together. You know, we're going to be, you know, really learning about putting complex transactions, making them happen, about the, the journey, too, of starting things. It's really amazing that he is typically not involved, you know, as an operator with the companies that he decides to co-found. But again, we're going to be learning quite a bit and really get inspired with today's episode. So without further ado, Let's welcome our guest today, Sam Hendel. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alejandro. I appreciate you having me. So originally born in New York City, but uh, eventually at two, you left to the suburbs. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? <laughs> uh, it was great. I, I had a great, great childhood. I have very uh, interesting entrepreneurial parents. Um, and uh, yeah, we gr grew up in the Burbs, went to public school, uh, Mamaroneck High School. Uh, my mom um, was uh, had a uh, undergrad degree in theater, master's in theater, and then was a stay-at-home mom for 25 years. Um, she's really inspired me. Um, I, when I, right when I graduated college, um, or right 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 when I was graduating college, she started getting into back into theater, um, and she's become a really prolific uh, Broadway producer and has won 11 Tonys. So, you know, she's had an incredible entrepreneurial journey. Um, my father has been an energy trader, commodities trader um, now for almost for almost 40 years, I guess. Um, and he also, you know, worked at a big at a big bank at, at Goldman Sachs for, for a long time, but then started his own business um, in partnership with Hess Corporation and also took that entrepreneurial journey. So as a kid, I had a lot of sort of entrepreneurs in the household and also a lot of a lot of culture, a lot of music, a lot of culture, a lot of film. And what was that uh, experience for you of really seeing them going through the ups and downs to us entrepreneurs? I don't know. I, I think I had a really great, warm, fun childhood. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know if like, you know, I don't, I don't really know how, like, how much I saw from it, if that makes sense. But like my parents were always active in doing things. Um, they were always active, always taking not, not taking very broad, you know, aggressive chances, but, but taking chances um, in, in their in their business lives. And it was something that I, I just had a lot of um, I, I was always surrounded by, by interesting people um, growing up. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, the people in the arts, um, actors, um, musicians going into the city with my dad and seeing, seeing shows. Um, we, we just had a very dynamic, you know, really great cultural childhood. Um, and I think culture is about taking chances. Art's about taking chances. And I've always had that, uh, I think, nice ability to, um, you know, uh, take a swing and know that I was going to be okay. And, 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 and I guess, um, I, I like taking shots on goal, um, you know, taking calculated shots on goal. And if you fail, you get back up and you try again. That's, that's what, that's what art is. Some people like it. Some people don't. I, I never had any, um, anxiety, I guess, about, um, taking a risk and, and, and having myself be wrong. I was always, always excited to, to try new things. And, uh, and I think that's probably translated in some of the things I've done uh, as an adult. So you ended up going to Yale and you studied uh, economics there. And I guess that was the um, the entry point into the world of finance, because then you did a little bit of everything there, you know, did UBS. But then one thing that is very interesting talking about, you know, taking swings and, 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 and risks is that you started at this hedge fund where you were managing a billion dollar portfolio at just the age of 25. I mean, 
How was that for you? I mean, that's a lot of responsibility at that age. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was sort of a little bit accidental in some ways. Um, I always loved trading and finance. That was my dad's business. And coming out of college in 2003, like, you know, now when people come out of college, I think they have, there's a lot of, there's a lot more to do and startups is such a sexy thing to do. Back then it wasn't on my, I wasn't on my radar and I got really interested in, you know, the, the, the trading side of it. Um, went to UBS, had a, had a great run there working at the prop desk, um, went over to a hedge fund in 2006. Um, and then in early 2008, um, my portfolio manager, I was an analyst doing risk arm and event driven. So, you know, kind of companies going through mergers and big corporate events. And my portfolio manager left and um, me, me and the other senior analysts were promoted to co-portfolio managers managing a, a very large book. I just, I, I didn't think about it. It was something that was, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I loved that deal dynamic. Um, it wasn't just sitting and doing spreadsheets all day. There was antitrust. There was the kind of the human element at looking at companies. And I was a generalist. I could look at companies across any sector. And I basically was very good at uh, learning enough to be dangerous um, not, not having to go, you know, to, to be the expert on utilities or, uh, on, on casino companies going through mergers. Um, I, I could know enough to be dangerous and, um, and go deep on a sector, um, and really understand the company and really more what can go wrong rather than what, rather than what can go right. Cause that's what risk our investors are trying to accomplish. I loved it and had a great experience, um, you know, and, and, and really, enjoy, I still enjoy, um, the kind of trading and markets and things like that. Now, at one point, you know, you got a call from one of your uh, college roommates, which changed the, everything, you know, and that was like more like entering the venture space. So, so what happened there? Yeah. So I, I was, I was at a firm called Satellite Asset Management about a, you know, six or $7 billion uh, multi-strat um, and Satellite is an amazing, amazing firm. Um, and during the financial crisis, you know, they, they, they had a lot of senior secured credit. Um, that went down a lot, and you know the partners could have kept it going. They decided to 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 you know unwind the firm, and they had all done very well and wanted to do different things. And I was you know twenty, I was twenty, I just turned twenty six, um, and um, they asked me to stay on for four months and sort of let my portfolio wind down, which I did. And I was going to take all of two thousand nine off and have fun. I was single and um, going to have a great all time traveling. I went away for about a month and a half, um, and came back, and my college roommate Ted Bailey. Um, gave me a call and was like, hey, I think Twitter's a data set. Um, like, what would you do with it? Um, and T Ted is a unique, a unique person, um, just a brilliant, brilliant person. We were roommates all four years in college. He thinks differently than other people. Um, and it, I'm, I'll go into his stuff. He, he was he was working first um, for the minor league baseball team, the Bridgeport Bluefish, doing marketing. And then he went to work for Lincoln Center doing marketing. And he, he was trying all these interesting things with, so, with very emerging social media. And it, it, was, it was too bureaucratic there, really, to, 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 to promote some of his ideas. So he took some time off, had a mentor, told him, hey, just take some time off, think about where the world is going. And Ted had this idea that social media was a data set. And I was a great person to come with that because my my business at hedge fund land was, you know, was using data, using information um, and having to react to it. It was event driven, you know, investing and trading um, and the value of knowing something before any, anyone else knew it, especially when it was real time public information was extraordinary. And we were focused on two different areas there. There were two areas that I thought would be kind of good ideas to approach the, fi the finance community with. Um, one was um, sort of the long form um, sentiment around different brands, so taking the brand Dell or IBM and tracking what was sentiment on social media around these brands, especially consumer brands. And could that be you know, influential on stock prices if you could have that information ahead of time? The other was real-time breaking news. 
was that if I knew something that was happening in real time, and even if even if it actually was a a hoax or a you know something something that 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 wasn't, it could still move markets. Um, and if I could get that information into the hands of myself and other you know, hedge fund professionals and and and, and private equity professionals, um, could be really influential. And so that's how you know kind of data miner was born. And then I was at a, a wedding, a friend's wedding um, in Toronto. This so we Ted, Ted called me, I guess, in April of 2009. Um, in June of 09, I was at uh, my friend Avi Sood's wedding in Toronto, and I ran into uh, one of our, our sophomore year across the hall suite mate, um, Jeff Kinsey. Um, and I told Jeff what he was doing, and Jeff was, was really also a brilliant person. Um, Jeff is a computer scientist with a natural language uh, programming background, and he was working. Um, at, at a language lab, kind of an MIT affiliated language lab, and um, and then about a week after our conversation, Jeff moved to New York, became the third co-founder. Um, so that's that's the, the initial sort of founding story, and and we like we're all all three of us went to Yale. Um, it's sort of a, a good Yale story because um, Ted was an American Studies major, I was an Econ major, Jeff was a Computer Science major, and that was sort of the the ethos and start of Data Miner. Um, and obviously, the rest is history. So, for the people that are listening to understand, you know, the business model of data miner, miner, how do you guys make money? Yeah. So, um, you know, data miner has become the leader, and and that first area that I mentioned, that kind of long form sentiment analysis. There were other companies doing that, in particular for marketing. We you know, data, we we kind of abandoned that fairly quickly and focused on just that real time breaking news. Um, and as you said earlier. Um, I've had the pleasure. I was actually never an employee of Data Miner. Um, you know, we, we we built Data Miner really starting from my use case in finance. Um, and I like to say, um, you know, I'm I'm very blessed to have smarter people than me um, running and, and making that company successful. Um, but they, we started with finance as our as our first use case, effectively taking you know t t taking that you know we're taking Twitter was our initial data set that we started with, taking that in real time having algorithms find news that was breaking and then make sure we are alerting re relevantly alerting um hedge fund managers quantitative managers etc who who need to go and react in the market um that was the, the start of data miner but data miners expanded tremendously since we started the company um you know we're we're, we're the world leader for you know for 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 ai for real-time breaking news um and whether that's you know um, public sector cu customers like the Department of Defense or state and local law enforcement or allied nation government, um, whether that's on the corporate side, so you know our, our, our corporate business um, is, is a very fast growing business. Um, the news media, um, you know, and, and the news media, a lot of news media uses data miner to effectively find and discover their news. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's used all around the world by uh, as sort of the the, the line of first intelligence. Um, and now the company's expanded from you know, Twitter, just Twitter, to now over a million different data, or Twitter now X, um, to over a million different data sets. Um, and those data sets work together. Um, we call it massive modal fusion AI, effectively taking, um, there's a lot of, there's value in one data set, but that, that value gets, you know, gets multiplied when you bring in all these other data sets that are helping to inform the AI and helping our customers know what's happening and know what's happening in real time, be able to contextualize it and then be able to react. And obviously incredible company. I mean, you guys have there over 800 employees, you know, over a billion raised. Is that is that right? I think I think it's less than a billion raised, but it's 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 close to that. Um, you know, uh, pro probably in the six or seven hundred million dollar range, I think. That's um, amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Now, one thing that is a uh, really interesting as part as part of your journey as an entrepreneur, Sam, is that you have not worked 
being operational really at any of the companies that you co-founded? Why, why is that the case? Um, I don't think I'd be very good at it. Um, I think one area and, um, you know, I, 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 I think like, you know, when, when it comes to, and, you know, it comes to data miner or the, the company, um, I, I started recently jukebox, um, you know, it, it's a timing the right, I think there, there's the right people to run a business. Um, and I always want to, always want to find, you know, thinking about new companies, ideas can succeed or fail. They can be the best idea in the world, but they can succeed or fail based on the right team and the right people running them. And anything I'm doing, I'm always looking for, like, if I'm not the right person to run something and I had the idea and I have a mechanism to get a company started, I, I should go out and find a team. And I'm, I I'll, I think I'll go into ju Jukebox and, and really core music partners and, and some more depth what I'm doing now. I'm actually spending 100% of my time in the music business. Um, but um, I don't have much of an ego. And generally, like, I, I don't need to be the guy running something. I, I love finding and backing great entrepreneurs. I love to angel invest and you know, and, and, and I do a lot of, we, I'm very, very active um, in the Yale community right now. Um, I started a, a not-for-profit um, called Accelerate Yale, where, where the, you know, alum, effectively the, 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 the Yale Alumni um, Entrepreneurship Organization affiliated with the university, um, just trying to get people together, have them network, alumni to alumni, alumni to student, and create an ecosystem. I, I love that stuff. Um, I, I love backing great entrepreneurs. So then let's talk about, you know, the next deal that was really very, very exciting, also very challenging to put together. That was Court Music Partners. I mean, you were alluding to it earlier how you've had the creative uh, side, you know, of you, and then also in the family uh, with your mother. So, so how did the whole idea of Court Music Partners really, you know, come come knocking? Yeah. So, you know, go, going, you know, go back to that kind of '09 period. Um, you know, we started Data Miner in April of '09. Is when Ted called me. I think we incorporated the company in in July, um, and I started a job at a hedge fund and another fund called Levin Capital Strategies. We're a hedge fund slash investment firm. Um, you know, doing um, the same thing, risk arb event driven. And I had a great twelve years um, working for an amazing guy named John Levin. Um, and, um, and, you know, I was portfolio manager there. And then by, by, by the end of my time, I was president of the firm. Um, but, uh, my family's always been involved in culture and music. And I mentioned my mom earlier, my dad also is extremely active in that space either. So as a family, um, you know, uh, we, we, um, we're, we're the, we're the largest shareholder of the knitting factory. Um, so we've, we've had that, 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 that controlling position since 20, um, since year 2000 knitting factory is a, a music venue business. Um, so we have one, we have one in, in New York, we have one, one in Los Angeles, a bunch in the Pacific Northwest. We started a record label out of that called Partisan Records. Um, Partisan's become a really, you know, important, um, you know, independent label. Uh, our biggest band there, uh, Cigarettes After Sex, Fontaine's DC, Idols. Um, and we also, um, we, we distribute the music of Fela Kuti, um, who's an important figure here for Chord. Um, Fela is the most famous musician ever out of, out of Africa. He's an incredible, um, he passed away in 1997, but he, he invented Afrobeats, um, or Afrobeat, excuse me. Um, and, um, and, and Fela is, um, you know, my, my dad, um, fell in love with his music and his life story, ended up doing a Broadway musical about him, uh, back also in kind of 2008, 2009, 10, 11 timeframe. Um, that, that, that won a few Tonys um, and was a, an, an amazing experience for our whole family. Um, and that kind of led to what, what, what we're doing with Court a little bit. Um, what, you know, I, I had become friendly about a decade ago with another incredible entrepreneur named Willard Audritz. Um, Willard founded a company called Cobalt. 
um, a music business a little over 20 years ago. Uh, and Cobalt's the leading independent music publisher. Um, you know, Willard started that business, a Swedish entrepreneur, um, and he had um, effectively an operating business that would go and collect, um, they, they would represent, you know, major artists like Max Martin, songwriter Max Martin, Paul McCartney, um, their music's administered by Cobalt. Um, and Cobalt, you know, does the sync licenses, they collect on behalf of the artists, they, they, they administer the works. Um, they also had developed uh, a fund um, about, you know, 11 or 12 years ago and started a fund. Um, because some, you know, th their business was based on transparency, was based on, you know, um, the artists being able to see how much their their works did, to see the revenues, um, and that was a big innovation and really cha changed the music industry. What Will Willard and what Cobalt did changed the industry to create more transparency for artists. But they weren't in the business of acquiring catalogs, um, and so they set up an off balance sheet vehicle, a fund, a fund structure, two fund structures, um, a smaller one than a larger one. To start, to start acquiring music catalog from the artists that wanted to sell their rights and ha have a monetization. Um, and a couple of years ago, um, you know, Willard reached out to me in early 2021. Um, he and I had become friendly. Um, and he, he, he and also really my dad had, had become quite friendly. Uh, but he reached out to me, um, you know, saying that the, the shareholders of the fund were interested in selling. Would you take a look at it? Um, and I have a, a dear friend of mine, a guy named John Chapman, um, uh, who I've been doing some, you know, some investments together with for a while. Um, he lives in Stockholm. Um, and I called him up and said, hey, let's start jamming on this. Um, and we started working on a very, very, this, this large deal um, and had to get up to speed very quickly in the music business. But effectively, this catalog um, was one of the largest independent catalogs in the world. Um, doing about 60 million of, of NPS, you know, of really effective cash flow uh, per year with artists like The Weeknd, David Guetta, um, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, um, Diplo, um, just a really broad diversified catalog. And um, I can go, I can talk forever on this one, but we, um, we ended up, um, w w Willard, I think really, really wanted us, there were a couple of other parties looking at the catalog, but w w Willard wanted us to, 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 to purchase it. Um, and we set up a quite a complicated deal. I started a new company called Core Music Partners, um, and it's a, a joint venture um, with 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 our family office, Dundee Partners um, and KKR. Um, and we partnered with a great team at KKR, led uh, by a woman named Jenny Box. Um, and um, you know, we, we've effectively taken that initial catalog. That initial deal was a one point one billion dollar deal, um, and then we've expanded that pretty significantly. Um, you know, cl close to two billion dollars in assets there. Uh, the last couple of years, we purchased John, um, part of John Legend's publishing, ZZ Top, um, Major Laser, uh, 21 Pilots, um, and, and other iconic artists. Um, but we have a, a, a very broad, diversified portfolio of music rights. And, and right now, we're, we're the largest pure play music catalog in the world. And um, I have the benefit now of, of being able to have my passion. Music's always been my passion. Um, I have a very low voice, so I, 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 do, a, I do a radio show every week on, uh, on two stations. Uh, 95 9 the fox in fairfield county and 94 through the shark on long island on music for many years now um but um you know i've had the, the the luck of having my passion become become my business um and core it's been an incredible journey and I, I hope to be doing this for a very long time um you know we're working with artists and acquiring iconic catalog and and helping to create deeper fan connections between their favorite music hey guys so pardon the interruption here so i gotta tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone 
is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. As part of this journey too, Yukebox came knocking. At what point? And yeah. why did you take action on this? Yeah, so we, when we were putting together that deal to acquire Cord, and this is you know middle of 2021, um, I had three sort of pillars of our investment. Um, first pillar was, you know, do, do a good deal at a good price. We paid We paid a full, a full price for the asset. This was, was not a bargain basement price by any means, but it was a unique iconic asset. Um, and, um, and, and it was an off market deal. Um, so, you know, do a good deal, don't overpay, but do a deal at a fair price. Number two is, um, the roll up strategy in music. Um, and, um, this is still still a very big opportunity and something that, that you know, I'm spending a lot of time on right now. But the role of strategy in music, effectively, the large catalogs, diversified, you know, highly diversified catalogs traded a, at a, high, a higher multiple than individual single artist catalogs. Um, th that, that's for a couple of reasons. One, the, the diversity of the large catalog gives more ballast to be able to, you know, get 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 financing from the credit markets. It's safer asset, and something happens to an artist. An artist does something that's, um, you know, then you know you you get a little ding, but it's not a huge ding. And so, and, and the, the music space, um, music we we view music as an asset class. Um, it's a special, a very special asset class, but it's one that's recently become kind of an institutional asset class over the past six or seven years. Um, you know, uh, 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 and also another entrepreneur, Merc Mercuriatus, started a company called Hypnosis. And has you know been a pioneer in that space, and a few others, um, you know, sort of you know realizing that music and these very consistent cash flows um, coming from the space um, is an asset class. And there's you can't just sit there and do nothing. You also have to work with the artist, do that storytelling around it um, that, that we love doing. Um, but that roll up strategy, the you know we have a big diversified catalog. Let's buy other assets underneath that. These single artist catalogs trading at a discount. Use the financial markets to 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 do that carefully and conservatively. Um, and continue to add value to active management. And we, we think the, we think music is materially undervalued, um, that the cash flow streams are by music. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm going into too much depth on this, but um, I'll, I'll get to Jukebox, I promise. Um, but the music industry earned um, right around $55 billion on a dollar-adjusted basis in 1999. This is just the global recording and publishing industry that's at the height of the CD boom. And then Napster and you know, piracy eviscerated the revenues of the business. Um, streaming, um, which com comes out of that piracy, that kind of the use of technology 
um, is now a big benefit of, of the music industry. And the industry now earns $35 billion here, you know, tw 24 years later, it's earning $20 billion less than it did in 1999. And, and we think there's a, a significant path to have the industry double over the next eight or so years um, for the benefit of rights holders, artists, et cetera. Um, but there's, you know, the, the, the digitization and technology now should benefit the music, right, the music rights holders. But we're, we're looking at a situation, you know, with, with, with Cord, and this is the third pillar of the stool for, for that initial Cord investment, was that this asset class is becoming an institutional asset class. But it's also the perfect asset class for, for, for the public. It's, it's, it's not a retail asset class yet. Um, and from fractional ownership perspective, which we followed very closely, web, you know, Web3 and the ability to have community involved in something, you're seeing that in real estate, you're seeing it in patents, you're seeing it in farmland, um, the ability to take smaller slices of assets that are unavailable um, and, 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 and have a, a broader public and, and investor be able to um, develop a deeper connection um, to, to their favorite things. That's something that we became quite passionate about when we were putting that initial deal together. Um, and this music as an asset class is institutional now, but there are really six or seven players that are you know, very aggressive and actively in the space. Not a very big space, not an open market. Um, how do we take this asset class and open it up to the fans and, and create even not just the cash flows, but also create a closer relationship between them and their favorite music? And that's kind of where how Jukebox was born. Um, we honest, I honestly thought I wasn't going to start a company. We planned on partnering with an existing company doing fractional ownership for music. And um, we closed the deal in October of 2021. And I spent a few months, and my partner John and I spent a few months, you know, talking to all the companies that were sort of doing this in the space. We had this humongous catalog, amazing, modern, lots of pop, lots of hip hop, like great things that connect to fans. And we honestly, we couldn't get comfortable with some of the regulatory approaches that others in the space were taking. Um, it was pretty clear to us that it's a cash flow, um, you know, a cash flow falls under, if you're going to sell a cash flow, bundle of cash flow, it's a security. Um, there's no ifs, ands, it's and buts about it. It's a security. Um, and a couple of companies were doing this um, and cutting that corner. Um, so after a few months of sort of looking to partner, we decided, my, John and I decided, hey, let's, let's just start it ourselves. Um, and going back to your question earlier, Alejandro, um, we knew we were not the right people to run the company. Um, we, we were just, you know, that, that's not my skill set. I'm not native to the music industry. Obviously, I'm very passionate about it. Um, but we went out to go, let, let's go build a team. Um, and I hired a friend of mine um, uh, who co-runs CAA's executive search business, Danny Burkhoff. And I said, you know, Danny, here's what we're doing. Um, you have all these connections. Let's go. Let's let's try to build a team. And the first hire was a CEO, and I got extraordinarily lucky. Um, and Alejandro, I promise I'll stop in a second and let you ask more questions. Extraordinarily lucky in, 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 um, in, in meeting uh, another entrepreneur named Scott Cohen. Um, Scott, um, Scott was the founder of The Orchard, um, co-founded The Orchard in the mid-90s. Um, or The Orchard is the world's largest you know, music distribution business. Um, Scott sold the business successfully to Sony in 2015, ran it for another four years. He was the chief innovation officer at Warner Music. Deep, deep industry connections. Um, he's an incredible technologist um, and someone who really studies the business of music. And I hired Scott as the CEO for Jukebox. Um, and um, he's done an incredible job building a, a world-class team around him, uh, a team of people who love music and are passionate about that connection between artists and fans um, and doing things with, with a strong regulatory wrapper to make sure that we're protecting the, you know, protecting the public, protecting the investor, and making sure that there's trust and the ability to take a very large asset class in music 
and now you know open it up for for investors to be able to 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 purchase um and something that 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 I believe is a is is a is is a unique uh special asset class and obviously the rest is history too for Yukbox eh? how much uh, capital has the company raised today no, Jukebox has raised um I think now 16 million dollars um we 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 did around um in in I guess very late last year or early 2023 uh led by Galaxy Digital um and have and really curated the investor list to make sure we had a combination of you know sort of the um the, the financial some of the the web3 wherewithal um but sort of the sort of the the future of finance um and also bringing in you know strategics around the table so you know galaxy digital led the round valor equity partners is also a big investor in data miner uh, is an investor um a firm called maywick um that's an amazing firm in the midwest another vc firm invested in the company and then um I mean, we have a broad base of strategics. Um, we have great partners in Sweden. The Bonnier family um, is also a strategic invested in the business. Um, Live Nation invested. Um, Red Light Management, which is the the largest you know, management company, music management company in the U.S. The Bertelsmann family, who own, who uh, controls BMG, um, which is a large music company. And then we have uh, a name I can't disclose a, a very large um, music streaming service based in Europe. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Now, when it comes to deal making, it sounds like, uh, you know, that's definitely a strength that you have. When it comes to, to really getting those deals done, you know, whether it's raising money, whether it's, you know, getting someone on board, you know, like a CEO that has incredible expertise, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned about getting deals done? Um, yeah, I, I guess like I, I, I think there are, there, are, there are many different types of people who do, who do deals. Like I'm, I think we try to lead with kindness and excitement and um like finding alignment finding ways finding ways to build alignment whether that's alignment with the seller whether that's alignment with artists around the table whether that's alignment with the industry that you're going into um you know i i really try to think deeply you know how how do, how do, how do i fit into the deal dynamics what are the social aspects around it making sure that 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 we can we can find solutions that that, that everybody wins um, with that, that catalog, th this was a great result for for the investors in Cobalt Capital. Um, great result for the for the for the team at Cobalt. Um, we actually ended up doing another deal with Cobalt's operating business. Uh, we helped facilitate um, Francisco Partners um, acquiring uh, Cobalt's operating business, and we're a minority shareholder there. Um, and 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 in both uh, all these cases, we've had very happy buyers and very happy sellers. Um, and those are the best deals. It's not a deal where someone you know pulls the wool over someone. It's the deals that um, you find alignment. You have reasons on why, why, why things happen on both sides, um, and bringing people together. Um, and it gets complicated. There are ups and downs in all these deal processes. There's legal. There's corporate. There's tax. All that fun stuff. And I've had an amazing sort of now <laughs> frontline view from my days investing in companies and now helping put these deals together. Um, but you know you have to understand people's motivations and um, and and make sure that everybody wins at the end of the day, and you're moving things along even when there are hiccups in the process. I love that. Now let's say I was to put you into a time machine, Sam, and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time, maybe to 2009. You know that moment where you're getting the phone call from your college roommate, you know, from Ted. And let's say now you have the opportunity of being right there, you know, sitting next to. To that younger self, you know, that is receiving that call and just hang up, you know, the call from from speaking with Ted and speaking about what became Data Miner. But let's say you were able at that point to give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. 
or before co-founding a business? What would that be and why, given what you know now? Well, it's funny. I would say, go, go back and don't make the same mistakes you made. But actually, I think the mistakes were beneficial. I would certainly say, um, don't hire a very expensive law firm and don't set up a complicated uh, share class structure when you're starting a business. Um, one area, I guess, would, would say, I think there's a value in having a consigliere, especially on the legal side, uh, having someone you really can trust on the legal. We didn't do any major footfalls on that, but we overcomplicated things um, and probably spent too much money on legal and data miner. Um, I, I think I would still tell myself, you're not the right person to run this. Um, let smarter people than you run it. And I'm doing that again right now. Um, so that's that's a you know, positive one. But I wouldn't tell myself not to make mistakes. We, the mistakes are what makes you better. Um, I'm probably making some mistakes right now with Jukebox. Um, with how, you know, but um, the mistakes make you better. And um, I think it's a good thing to be able to take take the swing. I'm so, I mean, I, the luckiest thing in the world that happened to me was, you know, ha having the, the fund I was at, you know, shut down um and get and you know and 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 leave that's the best thing that happened to me um one other area i would probably focus myself on even if we're doing it again here but um that alignment um how do you find alignment with data miner um you know uh we i ted and i invested in the company our, our, our parents invested in the company you know, we didn't really know what we were doing um jeff was an incredible technologist we had just a great you know great core core group starting the company together um, one thing we did really well was we we brought in our customers as our investors. I mean, it was completely insane, but we had, this is a 2009, so no one was really, very few people were starting companies, but we had 65 different angel investors um, in our first round and then kind of bridged to the next round. A lot of them, you know, friends of mine in finance writing $25,000 checks into the company, they're, many of them, their first angel investment. Um, but they were our customers. They were guys, buddies of mine who worked at hedge funds, friends that worked at investment banks. And we were beta testing with with everyone um, because our investors were were in that space. Um, and that's our Twitter caught wind of what we were doing because you know we, we were you know talking to every big finance firm and we ended up doing a data deal with Twitter. Uh, we used that data deal. We um, we brought in incredible partners, investment partners, um, IVP and Benrock. Uh, Nick Bime's still on our board um, and has been, been, a, been a great partner to data miner. Um, you know, mistakes, um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of mistakes. But um, well, I think it's one, one mistake is we, I think it's good to, to iterate on product. We were probably a little early in iterating on product. We luckily had friendlies looking at the product. Our first product was terrible. Um, Twitter was a really, really hard algorithm to crack. Um, and our first product was awful. Um, I, we probably could have, could have waited a little longer on that. But um, it was really helpful having our friends and our investors be able to beta test the product help us, you know, get to the next step. I mean, I, I was working, I was, you know, working in my, my hedge fund, looking at Bloomberg every day and trying to see whether data miners feed, beat, you know, beat the Bloomberg news. Um, it was a lot of fun. I hear you. So, Sam, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, probably, um, I, I'm on Twitter, you know, on X, uh, it's Sam Hendel, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. That's pro probably the easiest thing. Um, you know, happy, ha happy. I, I love talking to young entrepreneurs. My bandwidth is a little stretched right now, but um, I, I try to get back to everyone. And, um, you know, um, in, in, the, in the Yale ecosystem, really passionate about uh, what we're doing there. Um, frankly, any, any Yaleys out there, um, you know, please check out what we're doing with Accelerate Yale, the Y Startup Index. Uh, we're doing a really fun thing. Um, we, we have a, a small fund. 
a lot of Yale entrepreneurs have invested. Kevin Ryan, um, Sean Glass from Higher from Higher One, my friend Noah Glass at Olo, Jenny Fleiss from the Runway, Ted and I from Data Miner invested in, in this, and we everyone puts in kind of twenty five k a year. And then any Yale founded company that's raised over four hundred fifty k in outside capital as a scalable business and has runway, we'll write them a $25,000 check automatically. Um, and the fund takes carry. We, every year, we're donating 100% of our carry back to Yale University for entrepreneurship. Um, and really just trying to use it. It's a not-for-profit fund, basically. We're just trying to create ecosystem. Um, and I'm really excited about what's happening at the university and the entrepreneurship there. So if you're a Yale and listening, you know, please reach out. Amazing. Well, hey, Sam, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you, Alejandro. I appreciate it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.